It is, uh, it's good to be in, uh, in fellowship with um, godly, uh, patient people uh, who will bear with you. Uh, Eric Brabon is a good example of that. Uh, I intended to ask him to pray earlier this week, and instead I asked him to pray uh, while the music was going on this morning. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I feel like I comment on this a lot, but I'm drawn to it a lot. Um, I am so thankful uh, for the work that TJ and our praise team do. I just, I mean, there, there is no, there is no um, musical worship I would rather be part of than that. I mean, it is just fantastic everything from the quality of the music i appreciate the effort they put into making it sound really good i love that your that your attention is not drawn to that though you're not going oh man did you hear that electric guitar riff where they're you know just went off and you know you don't you don't focus on that your attention is drawn to christ and i love that i'm so thankful for that so thank you uh, to all of you who are part of that um Open your Bibles with me this morning to Galatians chapter 5. Um, we'll pick up in verse 16. Last week, we watched Paul move from doctrine to practice. In that move, he called the Galatians to consider the fruit of the Judaizers' so-called gospel of justification by faith plus works. And as we saw last week, the fruit of that gospel is rotten, and it still is. See, no matter who it is, where it is, or when it is, self-reliance always leads to destruction in every possible way. That's the destruction of others and even the destruction of self. This morning, Paul's going to call us away from self-reliance, away from the so-called gospel of justification by earning through our works and he's going to call us to walk by the Spirit in accordance with the gospel of justification by grace through faith. In particular, we're going to see Paul build some guardrails. And he builds these guardrails to keep us from driving off the cliff that's on both sides of the road. On one side, there's the cliff of trading one system of works righteousness for another. And on the other side, there's the cliff of licentiousness. Driving off either cliff will kill you. And so Paul builds some guardrails to keep us on the road. In Galatians 5, uh, beginning there in verse 16. Actually, let me back up to 13, just to get a little context from last week. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in this same text. You know, I never know how far I'm going to get, really. So there may be some more verses to get tacked onto it next week. We'll just see how it goes. But I think we'll be in these verses for probably the next two weeks. Um, in verse 16, we find the command from which flows everything Paul will say through the middle of chapter 6. He tells them, walk by the Spirit. And Paul puts this idea in front of the Galatians four times in these 11 verses here, from 16 to 26. We saw walk by the Spirit in verse 16. In verse 18, he talks about being led by the Spirit. In verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, and again in verse 25, to keep in step with the Spirit. All of these are slightly different ways of reiterating his call for Christians to walk by the Spirit. But what does that look like? The Greek word for walk is peripateo, fun word to say. Um, in his excellent commentary on Galatians, a guy named Timothy George notes that the students of Aristotle were known as the peripatetics because of their habit of following the philosopher around from place to place as he dispensed his teachings. In Paul's vocabulary, to walk in the spirit or be led by the spirit means to go where the spirit is going, to listen to his voice, to discern his will, to follow his guidance. But notice with me that our walking, our living in righteousness, isn't rooted in ourselves. It's rooted in the Holy Spirit. It's rooted in God. See, there's a danger in New Testament moral teaching. Paul spent the bulk of chapters 2 through 4 dismantling the so-called gospel of the Judaizers. He blew up the idea that Jesus starts our salvation and we finish the job by keeping the list of Old Testament laws. So when Paul gives us these lists here in chapter 5, he wants to make sure we don't think that Christ freed us from the impossible demands of one law to enslave us to the impossible demands of another. That's not what this is at all. That's why he opens with walk by the Spirit. Our walking is rooted in and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He who began a good work in you, Paul says in Philippians 1, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Notice it's all his work. 
And as we make our way through this text, we'll see Paul continue trying to guard us from legalism, from trading one system of earning, one system of works righteousness for another. That's Paul's first guardrail. Here's the other one. Paul isn't just guarding us from legalism. He's guarding us from licentiousness. He's guarding us from the idea that Jesus can be your savior, but he's not interested in being your Lord or that that him being your Lord is an option you have. It's the belief that the Lord, who does not share his glory with another, saves us so that we can go on loving and glorying in other things more than him. That is absurd. But make no mistake, saving grace is transforming grace. When you walk by the Spirit, Paul says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As we walk by the Spirit, we don't do whatever we want. We do what the Spirit wants. We do what we ought. Consider once again Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. A few moments ago, we noted that it's all God's work. That's the first guardrail. But notice that God is working. Transformation is happening. And that's the second guardrail. And in verse 17, we get more insight into why these guardrails are necessary. Paul tells us that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. John Piper says, when a a person is good from root to branch, he does not need to be told to be good. His goodness grows like fruit on a tree. God never urges himself to be good, but he never ceases to urge us to be good. The existence of Galatians 5 and 6, really the existence of the entire Bible, reveals that our nature is not like God's. God doesn't need to be told to be good, but we do. He is inherently good. He is goodness. We are not. Our nature is not like his. Our roots, yes, even the roots of Christians, aren't entirely good. And our fruit tells the story. See, in us, the spirit is at war with the flesh. Our new nature is at war with our old one. We're constantly battling the desires of the flesh. And in spite of what Satan would love for us to believe, that struggle is not unique to you or me. It's the Christian life. It's not part of the Christian life. That battle is the Christian life. And in this war, sometimes we strike down the enemy, and sometimes we get struck down. And while the former is very encouraging, the latter can be crushing. But in verse 18, Paul adds a support beam to guardrail number one. We get the sweet reminder that we are no longer condemned He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are free from the law's demands. If you're in Christ, you don't bear the burden of perfect obedience. Why? Because Christ's perfect obedience has been credited to you. His obedience is your obedience. That's the often overlooked part of the gospel. It's sometimes called Jesus' active obedience. He didn't just die for you. He lived for you. 
He did it all. And so what do we do when we sin? We confess our sins, we repent, and thank God for Jesus. Then we submit ourselves again to the leadership of his spirit. In verses 19 through the first part of 21, Paul adds a support beam to guardrail number two. Grace is not a license to sin. So he identifies some of the works of the flesh. And his list is long. It includes sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That final comment lets us know this list isn't exhaustive, it's just a sampling. But we don't need an exhaustive list. Why? Because the works of the flesh, Paul says, are evident. They're known. They're obvious. They're things that everyone knows are wrong. And they fall into four broad categories. The first one is sexual sin. Paul uses three words to identify sexual sin. Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality function as catch-all words for what you might call sexual irregularity or approaching sex in ways or in contexts outside God's purposes for sex, which have been evident since the garden. So hear me this morning. If you're looking at pornography, confess your sin to God and to a trusted believer. Repent, thank God for Jesus, and submit yourself again to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If you're committing adultery or are tempted to, confess your sin to God and to a trusted believer. Repent, thank God for Jesus, and submit yourself again to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If you are engaging in homosexual acts, confess your sin to God and to a trusted believer. Repent, thank God for Jesus, and submit yourself again to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If you're approaching sex in any way outside of God's revealed will, confess your sin to God and to a trusted believer. Repent, thank God for Jesus, and submit yourself again to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's the first category, sexual sin. The second is religious sin. Idolatry refers to the worship of false gods, and we need to hear more from that than don't worship man-made gods like Allah. You need to hear don't love, enjoy, or glory in anyone or anything more than God. It's okay to have money, but does your money have you? It's okay to have a cell phone, but does your cell phone have you? It's good to have friends, but do your friends have you? And sorcery refers to occult practices. So black magic and voodoo are out, in case you were wondering. Uh, that stuff was more commonplace in the first century, but it certainly hasn't ceased to exist. Um, Again, even though people struggle with these sins, no one needs to be told they're opposed to Christ, right? It's obvious. Or to borrow Paul's word, it's evident. So if you're engaged in idolatry or sorcery, 
confess your sin to God and to a trusted believer. Repent, thank God for Jesus, and submit yourself again to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The third category is relational. Sin wrecks relationships. I want to make sure Amy Waters never has an open counseling slot. Cast off restraint and give expression to your enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. All of these are born from selfishness. They're the outworking of selfishness. They are self-focused. Enmity happens when you're vindictive, when you're determined to pay back for wrong that was done to you. Strife happens when you're loose with your speech. Jealousy happens when you resent others for what they have and what you don't. Fits of anger happen when you're vindictive, impatient, or discontented. Rivalry, which is sometimes translated selfish ambition, happens when I'm determined to, quote, get mine, no matter what that means for you. Dissension describes the Judaizers. It happens when we lead people away from Christ to make much of ourselves. Division happens when we major on minors, when we make big deals out of little ones. And envy happens when jealousy goes to the extreme. It's when I don't just resent you for what you have, I now want to take what you have. I want you to suffer so that I can enjoy. No one thinks those are good ideas. No one thinks in advance, hey, I think this is going to work out great. Most of these things are impulsive. And it's not that we don't know they're sinful. It's that sometimes we just don't care. So when you engage in relational sins, confess your sin to God, to the person who sinned against you, and when helpful and appropriate, also to a trusted believer. Then repent, thank God for Jesus, and submit yourself again to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The final category is physical appetite. Paul talks about sins of drunkenness and orgies. Drunkenness happens when one's use of alcohol moves from moderation to excess. And the result is the loss of self-control. But we don't need help losing control of ourselves. We've got that down. We've already mastered it. So when you add excessive amounts of alcohol to a person who, like everybody else, already struggles to exercise self-control, the results are disastrous. And since Paul ends this section by saying, and things like these, it's clear that substance abuse and anything that diminishes your ability to exercise self-control would fit into this category. Such things pour gas on the fire of the, of the relational sins and the sexual sins and the religious sins that we just discussed. It's rooted in selfishness, and everyone knows it, even the person who's doing it. 
Last on Paul's list is orgies. The word orgies is only used a handful of times in the New Testament, and it's always in conjunction with drunkenness. Those two are always found. When you find orgies, drunkenness is always mentioned. Um, an orgy, in modern terms, is a wild party. It happens when we intentionally put ourselves in situations with people for the purpose of godless behavior. We're going there for godliness. We're planning it. It's purposeful. It's intentional. In Romans 1.32, Paul says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things, that's a reference to the previous 13 or so verses, um, where he likewise lists out a whole bunch of sins. Um, he says, though they know God's righteous decree, those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's the sort of thing you would find in an orgy. That's what that's about. It's where you go to find whatever sin it is, and everybody's telling you it's a great idea. This is going to be awesome. This is really going to satisfy. Do you struggle with drunkenness? Do you struggle with your surroundings? Do you put yourself around people who encourage godlessness? Confess your sin to God and to a trusted believer. Repent. Thank God for Jesus and submit yourself again to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've repeated that same line probably eight times. That's not accidental. Um, and if I had to guess, there's one part of that line that probably scares you more than the others. And I think it's this one. Confess to a trusted believer. That can be a scary thing, can it? Like when you're sinning, that's the last, when I'm sinning, that is the last thing my flesh wants to do. I want to cover that stuff up. I want to conceal it. I want to keep it hidden. I don't want you to know about that. What are you going to think of me? That's going to, that's going to wound my pride. I can't handle that. It scares me. And what if what I'm telling you is really bad? What if there are actual consequences to it I can't deal with that I couldn't possibly tell you that that's scary but the reality is it's not scary at all it's freeing that's where freedom is listen to the promise in James 5:13. if you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another you will be healed. Do you believe that? If you confess your sins to one another and pray for each other, you will be healed. James is not telling them that that sin will be permanently wiped off their radar, it's never coming back. That's not what that's about. It's about in the moment, you're gaining freedom, you're gaining healing for the moment. There's access to it in the moment. You confess your sin one another and you pray for each other and you get healing. 
If you struggle with these things listed here in Galatians 5, and by the way, you do. You do. We do. There's healing to be found from that. We confess our sins to the Lord and to a trusted believer. We repent. We enjoy Jesus. And we submit ourselves again to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That requires humility. But you don't need to be afraid of humility. You don't need to fear humility. Good grief. You should fear walking in sin. We should fear living in sin, continuing in sin without repentance. Continuing in sin relatively unbothered. We should be very afraid of that. Because that road leads to destruction. We find there in verse 21, um, he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's not that they didn't earn it. It's not about earning. This is not a, this is not a works-based thing. This is not works righteousness. If we persist unrepentantly in these sins, we show ourselves to not be hidden in Christ. We reveal that we do not belong to him. And that's scary. You want to be afraid of something? Be afraid of that. That scares me to death. That's what drives me to confess my sin to trusted believers. That's, what, that's really what it is. At the end of the day, I'm going, I, I, I can afford to be embarrassed. I can afford to feel like I'm a little less than awesome because, hey, I am. That's reality. Uh, I can afford all that. I can afford some consequences. If it was something horrible that I did, I can handle church discipline. I can handle jail time, whatever. I can, I can handle that. I cannot handle being separated from God. I can't handle that. I can't have that. That is the absolute worst possible thing that I could have. And so this confession stuff, that's not scary. Not knowing God, that is scary. So let's walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of our flesh. Let me pray. God, thank you for Jesus. It is so immeasurably good to have him. God, thank you that through faith in him, we are freed from the law. We're not under condemnation anymore. We have forgiveness. We have reconciliation. We've been adopted. We have sonship. We are heirs with Christ to the throne that we are mysteriously seated with him on even right now. Lord, I pray that you guard us from legalism. Guard us from the thought that if we jump through some hoops and perform the right acts and do the right things you're going to accept us 
That's garbage. Jesus did all of the right things for us. And so, Lord, help us to trust in him, to be thankful for him, to humble ourselves before him, to submit ourselves to him. And, Lord, guard us from licentiousness. Guard us from the idea that um, that we can have him as Savior but not Lord. And guard us from even wanting that, for even thinking that's a good idea. Why would I want Jesus to be my Savior, not my Lord? I, I don't want to continue in the things that were killing me. We don't want that. And so, Lord, help us with that. Lord, uh, make, give Sylvania a culture. Make Sylvania the kind of place that is marked by the kind of love for Jesus and love for people um, that we um, confess our sins to you and to one another. We repent. We enjoy Jesus. And we submit ourselves to the leadership of your spirit. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin.
remain standing. Just a couple of things, quick things, a reminders, the Discover Sylvania sign up, the, uh, and also the sign up for Hemsing are out in the foyers. Uh, take part in that if you would like. And let's read our benediction together. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, whether it's the breadth and the length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You're dismissed. to the Lord Almighty, ruler of the earth. Sing to the Savior, praise Him, King of matchless worth. to the Lord.